Isaiah 6. And this is God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and inspired word. And may he write its eternal truths upon our hearts as we read it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rob, and good morning. What do we do, or rather, what do we need when the world turns upside down? As Sky mentioned just a moment earlier, uh, probably it feels a little bit like that for us right now. Just when we thought we were done with this COVID-19 thing, we're back in lockdown. And just when we thought lockdown might be over, it's been extended yet again. And it doesn't seem that there's any clear end in sight. It's dramatically changed the way that we live, who we see, what we do, where we can go, what we're worried about. And of course, not just for us, but for people all around the world. Who knows exactly what kind of world we'll be stepping into once this is all said and done. You know, it's probably right to say that to some extent the world has been turned upside down. And it's fairly similar for the guy who wrote the passage we just heard from Rob, uh, Isaiah, because in about 740 BC, there was a king who died. His name was King Uzziah. And you can probably see uh, just on the, the PowerPoint here uh, a coin that had his face on it. See, King Uzziah uh, wasn't any ordinary king. Under his reign, God's people saw uh, in Judah saw prosperity and safety, the likes of which they hadn't seen since the time of Solomon. They were rich. They were well off. They were safe in their walls. And Uzziah ruled for 52 years. Imagine that. Imagine a king who's in charge for half a century of economic growth and unparalleled safety. Kids and grandkids would have grown up with this being the only world that they knew. So imagine how everyone must have felt when this guy died. Will we still be safe? Will our economy still be okay? Will we still have enough money? Or perhaps will our enemies overtake us? For Isaiah's 
uh, time, this really turned their world upside down. But what do we need when the world turns upside down? Now, there are plenty of answers to that question. And uh, right now for us, in this time we're in right now, then surely there are, there are things that you need in lockdown. Uh, maybe you need to make up for lost work hours so that you can pay rent or pay off the mortgage. Uh, maybe you need to see family or friends. Maybe you just need a little time away from the kids. <laughs> Maybe you need real help with mental health issues, anxiety, depression. All of those things are up at the moment. There's a need for real help. These are very important needs. And Isaiah and the people of Judah also had very important needs. But we have one need that requires the most attention of all, especially at a time when the world feels upside down. And Isaiah's words here in chapter 6 tell us what that need is. We need to see God. We need to see God for who he truly is. We need to frame everything that's happening in our lives and in our world back inside the reality of who God truly is. And maybe that's a new idea for you. Or maybe that's something that you've thought about before. Either way, Isaiah chapter 6 helps us get what we really need. It helps us see God for who he is. And so we're just going to walk through this passage together this morning like we normally do at this church. We're just going to unpack the words of the Bible. And we're going to see the picture that it gives us of God. But as we do, would you join me in prayer? Lord, we've sung about you this morning really encouraging each other to behold you, our God. And we pray that you would answer that prayer now. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's hear Isaiah speak to us. If you've got your Bible, keep it open. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. And uh, let's hear him speak to us, remember, as someone who knows what it's like to have his world turned upside down. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now just pause on that for a moment. Right, remember, this is the king Uzziah died, the world turned upside down. And what's it say that Isaiah saw? He saw the Lord. In fact, uh, if you read through Isaiah, the first one to five chapters... Uh, he's, he's making this point about Israel's spiritual condition at this point in, in history. And then suddenly he hits the pause button in this book. And he says something so important happened back around 740 BC that I need to stop what I'm saying right now and tell you about it. And it's not that the king died. Actually, the, the crazy important thing that happened was that I saw the Lord. And sometimes we gloss over those few words because, you know, people have been reading them for almost 3,000 years. But Isaiah saw God. He saw God with his own eyes. What an incredible thing to say. You know, just imagine that yesterday, right, it's a Saturday in lockdown. And so you've gotten out of bed and you've put, down, put on your lockdown trackies and you've eaten your wheat bicks and you've done something to entertain the kids. It's a day like any other. Just like for Isaiah, right? He's a priest. So he's at this point, this day that this happened, he's just minding his own business at the temple. 
And then, on this day like any other, suddenly this vision comes to him. He sees God. Imagine what that must be like. That you haven't gotten up in the morning thinking, oh, today I'm just going to see God. No, this is incredible. He sees God with his own eyes. And if his world was turned upside down by the death of a king, imagine what this must have done to him. Especially when you notice what he saw. First, he sees the enormity of God. Notice in verse 1 that the Lord is high and lifted up before him as he sits on his throne. And he probably stood under a tall building before. right? Something like Centerpoint Tower or you know, a building that's like actually tall. <laughs> and when you stand under it, you don't actually really get a sense of how tall the building is, do you? You don't look up and, and measure it and go, oh, you know, about 60 metres, about 100 metres. All you get the sense of is that it absolutely dwarfs you. And I know for me, when I stand under a really tall building and look up, I actually get this sinking feeling in my stomach. It's like almost like a vertigo feeling because I feel so small next to this thing. And it's the same thing for Isaiah here. He doesn't give you a measure of how tall God is. He just says, he is high and lifted up above me. He is so, so, so far above Isaiah. Even just the train of his robe, right? The bit trailing behind his clothing fills the whole temple. God is not on the same sense of scale as humans are. He's not just like a bigger person. He is so far beyond us. He's the creator and we are creatures. It's a difference not only of scale but of category. Which is partly why it's right for him to sit on the throne. You know, No creature can tell God the creator what to do. No one's in charge of him. He's the one who's in charge. So when Isaiah sees the enormity of God, he makes sure to record that God is high and lifted up on his throne. These two are connected together. He's the creator king. And it's not Uzziah, ultimately, therefore, who was in charge. It's God. Nor is it a prime minister or a premier or a president or the richest person on earth. All of them have a degree of power and that needs to be respected and, and followed. But God is the one who is the true king because he is the enormous creator of all. And this is the first thing we need to see about God. He's the creator and the king. Just as Uzziah's death didn't take him by surprise, the coronavirus hasn't taken God by surprise either. He's still sovereign. He's still in charge. He's still in control. In fact, he's still in charge over every single atom in this entire universe. If he wasn't, then he would cease to be God, as the Bible pictures God. He's still in charge even if your bank account is going backwards at the moment. He's still in charge even if you're worried about getting the virus or do get the virus. He's still in charge if you're struggling with mental health. Hear these words. God hasn't lost the plot, okay? He's the creator. He's the king. And that hasn't changed. That's the first thing we need to see about God here. The second 
is probably a little bit more confronting. Because Isaiah doesn't just see God lifted up high on his throne. He also sees that God is fearsome. You can almost imagine in Isaiah's vision that, you know, as the train of God's robe fills the whole temple, there's no room for him to actually approach God, right? How do you get to him? In fact, the temple, which symbolizes the place where God beats man, is totally barricaded off in this vision. Isaiah can't approach, even if he dares to. And then that image compounds even further when you come to verse 2 and you see these seraphim, these angels flying around. And you know, th this isn't the picture of angels that we sometimes have of like Cupid with his cute little wings and chubby belly and heart-tipped arrow. Uh, this, is, this is scary because <laughs> whenever an angel comes in contact with a human in the Bible, the angel has to say three words to them. Do not fear. Because angels are freaky. <laughs> They're terrifying. And particularly these guys. You know, seraphim literally means in Hebrew, fiery ones. So you can picture these six flame-wreathed angels. Oh, sorry, these, these flame-wreathed angels with six wings <laughs> flying around. What a fearsome picture. Orbiting the throne of God. And then it becomes even more fearsome when you look more closely and you see that these seraphim are covering their eyes because they don't dare even look at God. And they're covering their feet because they don't dare even approach God. What a terrifying picture. It's a picture of a fearsome God. He's not just in charge. He's also confronting. Put it this way. Seeing God is not just like seeing a beautiful landscape. I love landscape photography. There's a few of us at church that, that love going out together and taking photos. Uh, and, and for me, I just love going out. Early in the morning, I've packed up all my gear. The sun isn't up yet. I've got my thermos with my tea in it. And then I set up with my camera and I just watch and wait. And the sun comes up, you know, over the horizon, over the water, over the rock shelf, whatever it is. And I just sigh like, ah. <sighs> How amazing. Awestruck by the environment. But when we see God, it's not just the kind of awe that you get when you look at a sunrise with your tea in your thermos. He is a fearsome, uncontrollable God. We can't just shake our head and smile when we see him. And that reality becomes all the more stark as we consider not only what Isaiah sees, but also what he hears. Come to verse 3. These seraphim, these fiery ones, they call out with a loud voice, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now these are words that can really only be said to describe God. Holy, holy, holy. And that word holy, if you don't know, means set apart or, or like distinct in a, in a class of its own. And the angels repeat this word holy three times. Now, if you've been watching the uh, rugby Super 7s, maybe you've seen the Fijian team. 
and you might look at them and go, they're big, 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 right? Now, you can't get much bigger than those blokes. The angel here is saying, you can't get any holier than God. You can't get any more set apart than he is. He is in a class of his own because no one else in all creation can say that they're the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies. Can you say that? Can I say that? And no one else can say that the whole earth is full of their glory. Only God can say that. God is holy, holy, holy. And for Isaiah, that's a fearsome picture. In fact, if you look at verse 4, there is something like an earthquake at the sound of these words. Holy, holy, holy. And the foundation of the temple begins to crack. Isaiah is at the epicenter here. God is fearsome. And it makes me wonder, how much do I acknowledge the fact that it's right to fear this God? At a time like this, you know, we're probably more likely to be afraid of what's happening in the world or what might happen to us or those that we love. Will the case numbers start to go down? When will we be free of these restrictions? Will I be okay? And those are all good questions. God cares about those questions. But the biggest question of all is, am I right with God? Am I right with this God? Because if I'm not, this fearsome picture of God, the eternal king of all creation, is who's waiting for me. As Jesus himself says in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Right? Don't fear what could happen to you just in this life. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus said this. And perhaps you don't want to really think about that. Like, wouldn't it be better instead of crying out, holy, 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 these angels sang the Beatles song, love, love, love. Wouldn't that be easier? Well, no. Because that would be a different God. You and I would be talking about totally different pictures of God. Totally different gods, in fact. That's not the God of the Bible. God is love and God is holy. Absolutely set apart. Absolutely fearsome. And if you aren't in right relationship with him, then know this. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's why we need to see God for who he really is. At a time like this, when the world feels like it's turned upside down, we can't afford to be distracted. Heaven and hell are very real. God's judgment is very real. And if I'm not right with God, what a fearsome situation to be in. In fact, if you don't believe me, look at how Isaiah responds to this picture of God in verse 5. He says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Do you notice at the end there how he says, Because I've seen God. Here's now how I respond. Woe is me. I'm lost. 
In fact, as he sees God, he's suddenly aware of himself. Maybe you've had that experience before where you've been in the, the presence of power or the presence of greatness or the presence of something beyond yourself and you've had that feeling of, whoa, like I'm... I'm really weak, I'm really vulnerable, I'm in danger here. I know when Sky and I were at the zoo once, uh, we went to the gorilla enclosure and uh, we were standing there waiting and watching and hoping to see the gorilla, you know, there. And uh, there's sort of the little baby ones and there's the mums looking after and they're playing around, it's all very cute. And so we sort of stood there, we had some lunch and other people came past and they were watching as well and started to move on because the big gorilla wasn't there. And then suddenly... Out he came, and people gasped. Like, I'm not making that up, audibly gasped because of the size of this thing. You know, like fists the size of watermelons. And I immediately, instinctively, just like looked at the glass to try to make sure there weren't any cracks in it. Because <laughs> like, what am I going to do if that thing gets a hold of me? Like, my body weight is 20% almond milk or something. Like, I'm not going to be able to do anything to a gorilla. Have you had a moment like that where you've just suddenly known, I'm in danger, there's nothing I can do here? That's exactly what Isaiah realises when he sees God. He says, woe is me. He's suddenly aware of how small and weak and vulnerable he is. He is in danger before a holy God. Because when Isaiah sees God, he knows just how full of sin he is. He says, I'm lost. I don't stand a chance. He knows that a holy God, a God who is full of righteousness, full of goodness, full of justice, has to deal with sin. He has to judge it. And that means he has to deal with Isaiah. He has to judge Isaiah. Woe is me, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And most of us don't like to admit something like that, right? We don't often say things like, woe is me, I'm ruined, unless we're being melodramatic. We don't often say, I'm such a sinner that I actually really do deserve God's judgment. We don't often say, I'm lost. We tend to say things like, I'm doing okay. Or if we notice sin in our lives, we we tend to say things like, it's manageable. It's not a big deal. But what Isaiah says is true. In and of ourselves, we are lost. We're ruined. We're dead in sin. And maybe you've had even more of a sense of that at this time of lockdown, if you're honest. Maybe the situation has kind of brought out the worst in you. Like maybe you notice yourself falling back into old sinful habits that you thought you'd beaten. Maybe you find it as a struggle to love the ones you're living with as they're always in your space and you're always in theirs. Maybe you find that, hey, I've got all this time. I thought with all of this time I'd be focusing more on God, but I'm not. And so maybe this time of lockdown has actually shown you the truth of Isaiah's words here. And look, if that's the case, it's just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? The state of our hearts is actually so much deeper than simply this few months of lockdown. If we really face ourselves, we know the situation's worse, don't we? 
if we picture ourselves in Isaiah's shoes, really standing before the living king, the living God, gosh, what would we say? It's a truly confronting thought, isn't it? So Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amidst the people of unclean lips. He says, even my words are unclean. What can I say before this God? You know, sometimes I ask people the question, if you died tonight and you stood before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? And what would you say? And there are all sorts of answers that I've heard people give. But what would you say? Well, here, Isaiah knows that there's nothing he can say in and of himself. All he can say is, I'm unclean. And that word, unclean, would have had a real deep meaning for him and the people of Judah at that time because their king, Uzziah, before he died, was an unclean person. He was a leper, which meant that he couldn't come into contact with other people. He had to mask up all the time, literally. In fact, whenever he spoke, he had to cover his mouth and before he began talking to people or approaching people, he'd have to say, unclean, unclean, as a warning to them. He was literally reminded all the time, as were his people, that he was unclean. And so what can we say before God? Well, Isaiah knew. He knew we can't say a thing. In and of ourselves, all we can cry out is, unclean being utterly exposed before this holy unflawed god what else could we possibly say and it's crucial it's absolutely crucial that we can sit in that place it's a place of humility it's a place of dependence it's a place where i've totally let go of my need to be in control of the situation with God. We can't be. And that's part of what it means to see God as he truly is, right? And it's only in that place, at the end of ourselves, where God, in fact, meets us with love. See, as Isaiah lies there without hope, God finally approaches him. Look at verse 6. <coughs> Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, at first, this might seem a little bit confusing, right? Uh, why a burning coal? Why touch Isaiah's mouth? Wouldn't that hurt? But again, put yourself in Isaiah's shoes. He spent a long time in the temple being a priest. He spent a lot of time around all this stuff. So when the seraphim takes a burning coal from the altar, he knows exactly what that means. Right? The altar of incense sat inside the temple, just at the door to the Holy of Holies. It was like the last stop before you go into the place where once a year, one person, the high priest, would go in and speak with God, right? This is the most set-apart place 
uh, in the, the most set-apart building of the most set-apart people, <laughs> right? And here, the angel, the seraphim, takes a burning coal from this altar of incense, this holy, holy, holy place, and takes it to Isaiah. Because what does Isaiah, Isaiah need now more than ever? He needs to be made holy. He needs his uncleanness dealt with. Because as Hebrews 12 verse 14 tells us in the New Testament, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's as true today as it was in Isaiah's time. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. No one can stand before him. The only way to be right with God is for him to do something to make us holy, to make us clean. And so the seraphim literally burns his uncleanness away using this coal from the holy place. He burns away the uncleanness of his lips and burns away his guilt before God. And then he says, behold, look, take a look. Your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. And here's the thing to remember. Isaiah couldn't do anything about this for himself. Moments earlier, he was crying out, Woe is me, I'm lost, I'm a dead man. And what can a dead person do? Nothing, right? In fact, he didn't even ask for God to do this. Before he asks for anything, God just does it. In love, he chooses to do what only a holy God can do. He atones for Isaiah's sin. And that word atone, if you split it up, simply means to make someone at one again with you. Right? If you atone for your sin, then you're at one with the person that you've sinned against. Now here, Isaiah, of course, can't atone for his own sin. And so God does what's necessary for him to be made at one with him. To give him relationship, which is again unthinkable when you consider where Isaiah was just a moment earlier. And notice how that changes everything for Isaiah. He goes from hopeless despair, which was right for him to feel before this fearsome holy God. He goes from hopeless despair to humble assurance. Because at the very end of this scene in verse 8, the Lord calls out to him, or rather he just calls out, Whom shall I send who will go for us? He's got a purpose to give Isaiah. He's got this message for him to speak, a mission for him to carry out. And Isaiah, who was dead on the ground a moment ago, now has the ability to put up his hand and at least squeak out, here I am, send me. And don't miss the significance of that. Isaiah speaks to God. He speaks to God. He offers himself to God. He partners with God in mission. This God who is high and lifted up above him. This God who sits on the throne. This God who seraphim, fiery angels orbit and don't dare to look at him. Isaiah speaks to him and offers himself and partners with him in mission. How could he possibly have the assurance to do that? Well, only because the same, this same God is the one who's cleansed him and made him holy and atoned for his sin. And so finally, here's what we need to see about God. We need to see that he loves sinners like us. This is the good news. 
But despite all we've done against him and against the people he's created, he's willing to atone for our sin. He's willing to remove every barrier to us being right with him. Out of his great love, he does something to address our biggest need, just as he does for Isaiah. And here's the best bit. If we want to see God and know him and share relationship with him, if we want to have confidence and assurance before him, we don't need to wait for a special vision like Isaiah. We don't need a burning coal from the Holy of Holies. God has already done what's necessary. Before any of us were even born, before any of us were around to ask, he did what only a holy God could do to atone for our sin. He sent his son, Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel. True atonement comes through Jesus Christ while we were still dead in our sin. And before any of us were around to ask for help, God sent his son into the world. The enormous creator, the fearsome king, who by all rights can judge sinners like us. He chose to give up his only son for sinners like us. Jesus came as holy God, sinless, set apart to people like us who are sinful. He came without sin to people full of sin. And yet he came to deal with our sin. That was Jesus' mission, to make atonement for us, to make us one with God. Not by holding out a burning coal like the angel did, but by stretching out his hands on the cross. Because there on the cross, Jesus took our sin upon himself. The sin of our words, our unclean lips. The sin of our hearts, our unclean hearts. He faced the wrath and judgment of a holy God. The very thing that we deserve. He took it all on himself. And when he died, he said the words, It is finished. Meaning that his work of atonement was done. He rose from the dead three days later, proving that he really is the Son of God and that his work was finished. And now, all who say with Isaiah, Woe is me, on my own I'm lost, can also say, But with Jesus I'm found. Because all who trust in his atoning work alone are made right with God. And look, you've probably heard that before. Whether you've been around church for a long time or this is your first time tuning in to something like this, you've probably heard it. It's an old story. But look at Jesus' work in light of Isaiah's vision of God here. We've really seen God this morning. And when we see God as he truly is, we see the cross with new eyes. Right? Maybe it's a little bit like this. If we have a small view of God's holiness and majesty and a small view of our own sinfulness, then 
Our problem doesn't really seem all that significant, does it? We haven't done all that much to deserve the wrath and judgment of a God who's not all that holy. So we don't really have much of a problem. But if we take Isaiah's picture of God and indeed the Bible's picture of God seriously, then we see that there's actually a different state of affairs here. What if we had a high view of God's holiness, the view that Isaiah has, and at the same time, a deep knowledge of our own sinfulness? Well, then we see that we have a huge problem. And because of that, the cross means all that much more to us. If you're someone who's been struggling to really grip the meaning of the gospel and feel the weight and, and significance of the gospel, maybe this is what you've been missing. It's a high view of the holiness of God and a deep acknowledgement of your sin. That's what makes the cross great. That's what makes the gospel good. And that's why at a time like this, we desperately need to see God. Because the biggest problem in the world isn't the death of a king or the spread of a virus or even anything else in just our lives. The biggest problem is whether or not we're right with God. And our biggest need is to be made right with him and stay right with him, which only comes through seeing God as he really is, facing ourselves as we really are, and humbly trusting Jesus. So what do you need right now? As it feels like this world is upside down, do you need to be made right with God for the first time? Like, just for a moment, put all the other things of life on pause, and then seeing this picture of God today, could you agree that this is your biggest need? And if so, what's keeping you from trusting Jesus right now? You can be made right with this holy God, this enormous, fearsome king who is still so loving that he gave his only son for you. Right? This God who created you and knows the number of hairs on your head, who knows every day of your life and every sin of your heart, yet chose to make atonement for you. You can know him for yourself starting today and you can enjoy life with him and his people forever. You would no longer need to fear his judgment. And so what you need to do is face yourself, turn from your sin, and choose today to trust in Jesus. Trust that he's taken the punishment you deserve at the cross. And if you do that today, can you please let a Christian in your life know? Because first of all, that's something worth celebrating. <laughs> that's amazing. But second, you'll need some help. You'll need help to figure out what's next. And so if you don't know any Christians, get in touch with us through the church website. We'd love to have a chat with you. On the other hand, uh, maybe you're someone who already does trust in Jesus. But today, uh, what you need is, is to keep seeing God. You need to actually keep your focus on Him. There might be one thing from Isaiah's vision of God that 
just hasn't really been on your mind lately as you've been in lockdown. Like maybe it's that picture of him as the enormous creator or the fearsome judge and king. Or maybe there's something in yourself that you need to face. Perhaps there's been a sin that's crept into your life in this time of lockdown and you've been minimising it or trying to keep it manageable, but really what you need to do is face yourself as you truly are before a holy God and realise that in and of yourself, woe is me, right? You're dead in and of yourself, unclean in and of yourself. And turn back to Jesus, trusting that his forgiveness through the cross makes you clean, makes you holy. You can come to this God again with assurance. You don't need to hide your sin. You can actually confess it to him and maybe even another Christian brother or sister as well. The love of God is there in amongst this picture of God that we've seen in Isaiah's vision. He's done everything we need to set us right with him. And so with Isaiah, we can stand in humble assurance and offer ourselves to live for this God. But it starts with seeing him for who he truly is, facing ourselves for who we truly are, and humbly trusting Jesus. What do you need right now? Let's pray as we finish our time together. Lord, what can we say before you except that to your cross we cling? The cross where your son poured out his blood for us. The cross where you made atonement for us through the life of your son. Lord, help us in the coming days, weeks, to see you all the more as we read the scriptures, as we pray, as we continue to hear sermons like this one, as we find ourselves in idle moments of the day. Lord, help us to meditate on what is true about you and so be shaped by this picture of you. Help us to know you truly and trust you fully. In Jesus' name, amen.